We make our choices, we define our lives. Everything that happens is by design or by default. And the truth is even the default is a choice. If we're not taking the time to make that list or to think about going to the farmer's market instead of buying the food that was shipped here from a million miles away, it's a default choice. And that default has a snowball too. And so it's really just about saying, okay, what bigger picture, what am I looking for? What do I want? What am I creating? And choosing out of intention. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. One of the biggest root causes that I see in almost every hormonal imbalance from polycystic ovarian syndrome to estrogen dominance to low thyroid function is nutrient depletion. Now, I'm not talking about less nutrients in our fruits and veggies, although I do believe that our produce is less nutrient-dense than it used to be. No, I'm talking about food as a whole. See, we are eating less nutrient-dense foods on average for many reasons, like not having enough time to cook or living in food deserts or the ease of eating out and convenient foods like snack foods. And I see this in lab test results all the time. It's one of the biggest reasons I decided to write books with easy-to-make whole food recipes along with grocery lists to make it feel easier. I even have free recipe guides to get started. Like my favorite one, probably one of my favorite ones, is the 14 Healthy Hormone Recipe Guide, which I have in the show notes today. And if you haven't grabbed it yet, this amazing recipe guide is definitely what you're going to want for the holiday season. It's also the reason why I curated the Essentially Whole supplement line. Sometimes we are so nutrient depleted, like, you know, that bone-crushing exhaustion or that inability to wake up in the morning, that's depletion right there. Sometimes we need to take it to the next level and supplement up to get back to baseline. Now, as a breastfeeding mama, I literally just pumped five minutes ago, I can tell you that I eat lots and lots of whole foods every single day, and yet I still take over 10 plus supplements to keep my body functioning. Now, it's my reality, and I'm grateful that I have these supplements to use every single day for my body, and in turn, for Kingston's growing body as well. Now, it's why I'm also excited that we are having our second annual Black Friday sale, and it's going on right now. It started yesterday, and it will end later on this week. Now, if you have been wanting to try some of the supplements like Magnesium Restore or Hormone Balance or Progest Restore, go and take advantage of our biggest sale of the year right now. Go support local businesses, right? I'm, a, I'm, I'm not local local, but I'm definitely a small, women-driven business, that is for sure. Now, because I believe that nutrient deficiency and nutrient deficient foods is a major cause of metabolic dysfunction and hormonal imbalance, honestly showing up as belly fat, chronic fatigue, anxiety, gut issues, even symptoms of estrogen dominance like migraines, bloating, heavy periods, I wanted to just further the conversation. So I invited food expert Jen Trepik to share the latest research on how depleted our nutrition has become and what we can do to reverse this metabolic epidemic. Now, before we kick off this important conversation, I want to quickly sing her praises. Jen Trepik is a force of nature and wellness. 
She is an optimal health coach specializing in weight management. Now, after a decade long of coaching clients, Jennifer launched Salad with a Side of Fries podcast to pay it forward and reach a larger audience teaching about nutrition education that we're all really supposed to know, but no one ever taught us. <laughs> Jen's mission is to change the state of healthcare as a certified transitions life coach and consultant. So let's welcome her to the show. Hey, one more thing. An estimated 90% of women are struggling with key nutrient deficiencies that leave our bodies lacking in the building blocks that they need to function at their very best. Now, when our bodies don't have the right building blocks, they will keep pushing forward until we finally feel totally burned out and drained. But here's the good news. There's an easy way to fuel our bodies with exactly what they need without spending hours in the kitchen. And that is with targeted supplementation. Now this week only, take advantage of my best sell of the year and save 15% on the entire Essentially Whole store, plus get a bonus holiday recipe guide. Simply go to drmarisa.com slash sale and start saving today. The link will be in the show notes and I can't wait for you to get that energized body that you've been waiting for all year long. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Jen Traffic. How are you doing today, girl? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Ooh, I am so happy to have you here. I am just loving your energy so much. And girl, you know, one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on the show was to really just dig into the state of our nutrition in today's standard American lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? Like so much has shifted even in the last couple of decades. And what a lot of us, like we, there's kind of this knowing that there is nutrition depletion in our foods, but a lot of us don't exactly know what that means, what, what kind of implications that has for our health. And then what do we even do about it? Like, how do we even begin to, to kind of conquer this situation that is existing in our food, our food supply and our food system. So before we get into all that, I'm so excited about it. Talk to me a little bit about what was really the beautiful impetus for you when it comes to digging into this type of content, digging into this research and really wanting to educate people about how to take care of their bodies through nutrition. Yeah. So it's so fascinating. So I came to all this wellness stuff through my own, I call it a saga. I feel like the word journey, like just doesn't do it justice. (laughs) Right. So I, I was a dancer growing up and I, I sort of joke that I was the skinny one in a family of dieters. And really what I recognize that that means now is that I was on a diet my whole life and I didn't realize it. And Then when between high school and college, when I started to gain weight, I was like, okay, I know what to do. I watched my family do this my whole life. And I did every diet under the sun, gained and lost that roller coaster, merry-go-round, whatever you want to call it. Like I was on it. And even when I first learned about the program that I now teach, which I call it, it's like the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us. But so even when I first learned about it, I was like, no, 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 that's okay. I've got my thing, right? My thing was like that crazy saga. (laughs) But like, like, I've watched it work my whole life. That's my thing. (laughs) Right. You know, like the thing is to go up and down. No, right? So (laughs) That's not normal. That's not what we all do. (laughs) Right. So I was like, oh no, that's okay. And then there was this woman telling her story of losing like 150 pounds. And literally everything she said after that, like I heard no words. 
I was in my own head staring at her because I couldn't see where 10 pounds could have been on her body. And my brain was like, this does not compute. <laughs> like, how is this possible? And I was like, Jennifer, right? Like, this wasn't even a Jen moment. This was like a full name conversation with myself. Like, Jennifer, get over yourself. Like, they know something that you don't know. And I was like, okay, I worked with a coach and it really was relearning nutrition and how our body processes food and how foods impact our body and that everything is connected in our, right? Like our system teaches us to look at everything in isolation, but the reality is everything is so connected in nature and in the body. And looking at it that way, I was like, oh my God, I don't suck. It's not that I don't have willpower. Like all of this is so very chemical. And then I started to think like, why is it that this isn't what we learned? You know, like how is it possible? And so I started to dig into it and I learned more and more. And like that food pyramid that we all grew up with, you know, like where it had grains on the mm -hmm. bottom. Remember that? Oh yeah, girl. Oh yeah. I remember learning that. I remember all the fake bread products and stuff that we would play with as kids, like for the bottom of the, yes. <laughs> and I was like, no one on the planet has a grain deficiency. Like, why is it that this is what's, you know, being told to us as what we're supposed to eat? And the truth is it was based on economics, not nutrition, to get us to eat what we grow. And so I was like, the world needs to know this. Like, I am on a mission <laughs> to pay it forward and help people help themselves with this information. Because what happened for me in learning the nutrition and the science in a really approachable way, right? But what happened for me was that it shifted every food decision from being emotional to intellectual. And that was transformative in every aspect of my life. Yes, power. I mean, I mean, so true, so powerful. Like having that defining moment of just like, this, this here's the deal. Exactly, exactly. So let's talk about what, because you're thinking, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm like, we have stipends for corn, we have stipends for soy and wheat, right? We are, we pay our farmers to grow all of these products. It's, it's such, it's so much lobbying and politics around it when we think about that food pyramid. And so, and I know a lot of our food products are made from these subsidized foods. So talk to me about, you know, in, even digging, I want to dig into that a little bit, but what does depletion in our nutrition mean in general? Yeah. So fundamentally, it's basically like an apple today doesn't have the same nutritional value as an apple that our grandparents ate. That, you know, our farming practices have evolved to a point where the snowball effect is, it looks like an apple, it tastes like an apple, but what it's giving us isn't the same as the apple that was eaten even, you know, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. So for example, broccoli, we know dark leafy greens and broccoli are great source or were great source of like calcium, right? So in 1975, a half a cup of broccoli had 103 milligrams of calcium. In 1997, a half a cup of broccoli had 48 milligrams of calcium. You know, I mean, that's less than half. 
And so even if we were to eat all the things that we're supposed to eat and never eat the things that deplete our body, <laughs> right? We're still not getting the nutrients that we think we are from all of our healthful choices. And it doesn't mean don't eat the broccoli, of course, right? <laughs> but it means that we might have to have an even greater commitment to nutrition and potentially supplementation to help support our body's proper function. 100%. And I mean, and let's just speak to the fact that yes, apples have less nutrients, less less fiber, less vitamins, less minerals than it does. And so does the broccoli. We also have to recognize that maybe not everyone's even choosing apples and broccoli, you know? And so there could be even more nutrient depletion. I know that there was a stat from the, I want to say it was the FDA, I'm forgetting where the stat came from, but basically when it comes to the servings of fruits and vegetables that we eat every day, I, the average adult in America eats 1.2 servings of fruits and vegetables, including ketchup oh. <laughs> and french fries <laughs> are considered a fruit and vegetable. And so I just wanted to speak into that. As like, a lover of french fries. I that's get so it. <laughs> and no. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's so crazy. And, and to your point too, it's not just eating the things that we're in air quotes, right? Like supposed to eat it's access to the fresh foods and vegetables. And it's literally also like across the board, I think it scientific American published something that was like a whole laundry list of nutrients that have diminished in our foods, you know, vitamins, protein, you know, a lot of the minerals that we need too. It's like across the board, the more we've evolved to create more volume of food, to ship food all over the place, to try to create efficiencies, the side effect is we have less nutrition in those same foods. Absolutely. Well, and the other, just the other little caveat I'd like to kind of just tie to this is that I find we are as individuals, especially as women, we are burning through our nutrients faster than we've ever done before. We are more stressed. We've got more going on. Um, you know, we're up later. Like all of this is requiring, like your body has to run on something. Right. You know, you're more than caffeine. Right. More than caffeine. <laughs> caffeine isn't a is not the vitamin C that you thought you were taking, you know. Right. Vitamin and caffeine. the B vitamins, like you know, you're talking about stress and lack of sleep. I mean, we eat B vitamins all day long, and especially when we're stressed, and it's there's nothing left. And yet we are eating all the time. Like we are a country of people who are overfed and undernourished. Exactly. Yep. Oh, constantly. Your body and you were talking about, it's not that I don't have willpower. It's not that at all. It's chemistry. And we know that if you're feeding your body a lot of processed foods or nutrient depleted foods, like we're talking about today, the body knows it's starved. The cells know they're starved and they send signals to the brain and the brain's like, you got to eat. And you just find yourself in this perpetual loop of cravings and eating and cravings and eating and anxiousness and all that mood swings, all that ties into the brain sending out these kind of survival, you got to eat messages. And no, it's not, it's not willpower. It's not a lack of willpower. It's your brain hijacked you <laughs> because right. it's trying to meet a need. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's, you know, we think about cravings, right? And sometimes a lot of times, you know, I'll hear from people, especially in conversations around like intuitive eating, right? Like that feels scary because we have to rely on interpreting our body's signals. And those wires get crossed. And so it does take exactly what you do on this podcast, right? It takes a bit of education for us to intellectualize some of what we're feeling and experiencing so that we can give our body what it needs versus what sometimes we're craving. Like when we're craving sugar, (laughs) you know, but what we really need might be protein or we're, you know, dehydrated or and, 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 right? All the things. But it's like, recognizing that even those cravings, the mood, the sleep challenges, like it's all connected. And the more we can give our body all the building blocks that it needs through nutrients, the better every piece of it is. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Now, I know we talked a little bit about some of the causes, right? That our farming has become very efficient you know, in order to get all these produce everywhere around the world, that our soil is most likely depleted because we're turning and burning it too quickly. And then a lot of, you know, a lot of other things I think are happening here is that, you know, a lot of the food products, probably 65 plus percent of the food products, even products that are claiming to be healthy and claiming to have all these extra wonderful benefits, probably just aren't really bringing enough to the table. Right. And it's, we think about it too. I mean, how often are we looking at a piece of fruit or a vegetable and it says like product of chili? Oh yeah. Right? And then, so then we think, okay, for this to be pretty and perfect color in my grocery store, but it traveled thousands of miles to get there. It was pulled from the vine well before it was ripe and it ripened in transit. Well, our food can only get nutrients from the soil when they're connected to the soil, (laughs) right? So even, even if our farming practices had crop rotation like they used to do, and even if the soil had all the nutrients to be giving it, we're not letting the food ripen on the vine because we want it to be picture perfect when it gets to our grocery store. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about that here. I live in San Diego, which is where a lot of avocados are grown, but, and I love avocados. I'm obsessed, but they also are grown across the border right now in Mexico. And um, most avocados, as you're saying, I was just thinking of an example of that are always picked really, really green, hard as a rock, right? You go to the store and they're still that way. And not only that, but they're put in like freezer trucks to keep them that way. And so like they're stunted in their growth until they're finally sent out because they've got to hold on to them. And so there's so much complexity around that. You're right. Like I think about not only the avocado getting pulled earlier, but then we put in a freezer or we put, put it in a cold container so it doesn't move forward, you know, and then until we need it to, you know, how often have you gone to the grocery store and they're just solid rocks, you know, these these avocados that you're paying an exorbitant amount of money for for, for avocado. Exactly. And then you've got to like, you put it in a bag and hide it in your, you know, in your cupboards so that it, it actually, you know, starts to to ripen. I mean, it's a whole thing. And just just that is a part of us getting caught up in the efficiency of agriculture to mass produce, mass create as many, you know, to get all the avocados to where they need to be and make sure that they're ripening once you get them. And yeah, you just, 
I can't even imagine how depleted each and every one of those pieces of fruit are. Exactly. And I'm in New York. And the fact that like we can get oranges all year round, like oranges don't grow here, (laughs) especially at certain times of the year, right? So not a lot of things grow there. Right. So we get apples in the fall. Oh, that's right. You right? guys do yeah. get apples. But like an avocado is so hard to come by in New York City or New York, you know, there like I've. Are, for me, I want to say they're like $6. Like an organic avocado is like five, $6 a piece. That's an outrage. <laughs> right. Just kidding. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah. And so even just speaking into, gosh, and we were, you talked about it earlier, you had mentioned just disproportionately people getting access right. to food, to getting access to full produce and and what that looks like depending on, you know, inner city living, um, racial inequality, like all different types of contexts come into here of like who's even getting their nutritional needs met. Are these things even available? Right. And it's interesting because so we used to think of food deserts as, you know, there's little access to food. Now the more current definition of a food desert is access to nutrition. So what used to be a food desert now has plenty of fast food restaurants. They have plenty of fried food. Access to food is no longer, well, food-like substances, (laughs) right, is no longer the issue. It's access to fresh food. And that's a really important distinction for many of us to realize that It's more likely for a McDonald's, a Burger King, or a Starbucks to show up in some neighborhoods before a grocery store. Mm -hmm. Or liquor stores. Yeah, that too. It becomes a snowball effect on a bigger scale for all of us. Yes, it does. I know, and it it gets definitely more complex. I lived in a... I lived in a, a big, I don't know if you're living, you're in New York City or not, but I lived in um, Oakland, California for almost two decades. And, you know, there, I was in an area where there was one, one grocery store for probably a hundred thousand people, easy, maybe more. But on every corner, there was, there was a liquor store and there was fast food everywhere. And yeah, I experienced that firsthand. I was like, oh my gosh, like how, how are people getting what they need when it's not, really available at all. You know, I, I, I definitely felt that dis- massive discrepancy versus other places I had lived and there's grocery stores everywhere. Exactly. Then there are, you know, the programs, like, I wish I could remember, I want to say this was like in New Orleans or something. They, an organization had partnered with grocery stores to take everything that was at or just after like the sell-by date And they created a grocery store in a lower income community that was all of the food that these grocery stores were going to throw out because of the sell-by date. And so sure, maybe the outer layers of the lettuce were starting to wilt. And in more privileged communities, that was like a hard no, it was never going to sell. But it made a world of difference for some of these young kids who are growing up where that wilted lettuce is certainly a better option than, you know, the fried processed foods that are otherwise available to them. And I think there's a lot that we can do, but it takes all of us recognizing that this is an issue 
And then going a little bit out of our way to say, okay, where, where are my dollars going? Who am I supporting? What industries am I saying yes to based on where I'm spending my money? Because I think the food all industry, right, has a lot to do with economics, but our food supply and our food industry and what qualifies as food, as food has snowballed to a place that we need to reclaim control and the way to do that is with our dollars. Agreed. With our dollars and with our forks. You know, every I feel like every time we pick up a fork, we are we are choosing. We're making a decision, right? So let's talk about that. Like as, you know, what does that mean for us as conscious consumers, as as consumers who want to eat healthy, consumers that want to be mindful about the type of food that's out on the market, not only for our own families, but for all families. I know that a lot of the the decision makers who are making these decisions for our families are listening to this. I'm not going to lie. I'm the decision maker. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I'm really, really mindful about where we get our food, what we're purchasing, what's in our household. A lot of that goes into consideration, all of it. But I know that could always continue to be better. One of the things that I, I really was bummed about with the pandemic. I mean, there's a lot of things to be bummed about with the pandemic, but I, we always, we were big shoppers of local, local farmers. We did a lot of farmer. We did a farmer's market run every single weekend. And we had done that, my husband and I, I think like eight years for eight years. The whole time we've been together, we that was just a part of our weekly routine. And we knew our farmers. We knew what where where our food was being grown. Like we were very involved in it. And then um, when, you know, last March, and I know that they're more and more opening back up. But yeah, that's it's we had a major shift gears about where we got our food. Yeah. And so I think, you know, you hit on one of the biggest things we can do, which is shop local. And by shopping local, it's your farm stand, your farmer's market, those, your local farmers, it's eating seasonally and locally, right? If we all stop eating foods when they are not in season, eventually those choices snowball up the chain to shift our supply, right? And to shift what's available. And so it's, realizing what's local, shopping from your farmers, and advocating and looking at the organizations and seeing where you can get involved in your community to help educate, maybe create a local garden. I was just talking to somebody yesterday who, you know, helped create a community garden in Long Island for their town. What are some of the nonprofits in your area or food banks or food pantries where we can help bridge the gap between all the food that's being thrown away? You know, because it's not just that our supply has all these things that have less nutrition. It's also saying our food waste is out of control and there are people who are starving. And so how can we get involved to bridge that gap? And say, you know, what are the organizations local to you? Because I think this is one of those things where, you know, we think globally, but have to act locally and really start to get involved and recognize and help our kids understand too, that the food they eat provides their body with what they need and the energy and how that connects to everything else and making sure that everybody has access to those kinds of foods. Hmm. I absolutely agree. I love the idea. Definitely getting involved. And we have we have definitely gotten involved over the years, helping to coordinate donations and 
just making sure that there were there was flowing of food in in food banks, but also community gardens. You know, I love that idea. Not and 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 having kids involved in that, seeing how their food is grown, being participating in the process of growing food, even if it's herbs, you know, even if it's just rosemary and basil and cilantro or thyme, whatever that may be, or maybe it's tomatoes or you know things. That I was are just going to say, I'm like tomatoes and basil are two that like they're so easy to do. Cucumbers are also super easy. And the other thing that's interesting too is like when we start to, and P.S., like I have zero green thumb. Like you do not have to be, you know, like the gardener extraordinaire to figure this out. And you don't have to have a massive garden. Like it can be a couple small pots. But I think to your point, you know, with getting our kids involved, like it's exciting for them to eat the cucumber they grew. And to see how something went from, you know, seed to food. And then it's also interesting to point out, hey, you know, those cucumbers and tomatoes that we had in the summer, there's a reason we don't have them in the winter. And it starts to spark this conversation that creates a greater awareness. Absolutely. I, you know, when, when we were going to the farmer's market often, I was just so fascinated at the season changes and that we only ate seasonally. And, you know, watching cherries come and go or blueberries come and go so quickly and just watching the persimmons come in and the pomegranates and the fennel and just like just watching the rotation. Like a lot of us just don't even know when things are coming into season unless you're consistently at a farmer's market, consistently at your farm stand where you're seeing the turnover happen. Like one, you can see as things fade out, you know, as tomatoes are fading out or as peaches are fading out, you know, maybe you got that one, one last week (laughs) before they're gone. (laughs) And And I'll find, I'll find the link and send it to you, but there's a website where you can plug in where you live and the time of year. And it will tell you everything that is seasonal. And then you can start to look for those things. And the other side of all of this too, which is sort of a can of worms, is genetically modified right. foods. Mm-hmm. You Let's know, go into and that a little bit. It's so we could think of it in terms of like watermelons, right? Like we now have seedless watermelons. Well, that's not natural, right? Things grow from seeds. So it's something was done to make that watermelon grow without seeds. And then we go to the grocery store and we see the apples that are like the size of our head because bigger is better, isn't it? (laughs) Right? And so it's one of those things where for us to understand that when they look unnatural, there might be something to it. And essentially, a lot of times when scientists and, you know, food companies are looking at adjusting sort of the genetics of how something grows... Most of the time, they're modifying them so that they don't need the same pesticides. So they don't have to spray the same stuff on them, which in theory would be like awesome, right? Isn't that a good thing? And then what we see is the reason why they don't have to spray the same pesticides on them is because bugs don't eat them. And it's one of those things where I come back to it all the time. And I think this is something that's not talked about enough in the GMO conversation. And that is if the bugs recognize that they're not food, maybe there's something we can learn from the bugs. Like if this isn't food for the ant and this isn't food for the bird and this isn't food for the worms, 
It's probably not food, food for the humans. For us. Yeah, I was going to say, why is it food for us? <laughs> yeah. It's fascinating to see, you know, like so many foods that ants, I mean, there's a lot of foods that ants aren't interested in, but there's a lot of food, fake food that ants are like, oh, oh, uh-uh, I'm not eating that. <laughs> right? So <laughs> that crazy is story. I have a client who I see early Sunday mornings. So I was walking down the street and somebody, there's a McDonald's not too far, and somebody had spilled French fries on the sidewalk at some point overnight. So this is maybe like 8 a.m. Not a single ant or bug or bird around this whole thing of fries on the sidewalk. I came back an hour later, same thing, still untouched. Real talk. Sorry. I know. And I'll, you know, I'll just... I haven't had McDonald's. I would I think it's been 20 years since I've had McDonald's and any any processed fast foods, you know, there's not a lot of I mean you just here's you know how I always think about it. I mean this is just, you know, I know there's so much so much wrapped up in us eating food, culturally, family, emotions, all kinds of things and but once you put it in your body, your cells, your gut, your mitochondria, it's just substrates. It's substrates to your body. Your body isn't thinking about the event. Your body isn't, you know, caught up in the celebration of it. It's like, can I use this or not? Right. The can body I do says something with this? Usable, yes. Toxin, no. You know what I mean? To uh, certain things. And then like the French fries, it's like, ooh, toxins. Yeah. Okay. Like my liver is This is like, a different path. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My liver, please don't do this to me. Right. And listen, I'm a big fan of my podcast is called salad with a side of fries, like moderation and living life. Absolutely. But understanding fundamentally what we're giving our body through our food choices is paramount. Mm -hmm. So I want to just kind of, as we close the loop on this really quickly, talking about what being more conscious, voting with our dollars, voting with our forks, you know, we, we know that in order to really change the nutrition industry, the, the you know, so much in the, the lobbying and the economics of it all, like we've got to be the change that we want to see. You know, we got to actively participate. But then let's just talk about specifically feeding our family, meeting our nutritional needs, being more mindful about what is going into our bodies. You know, how do we not only taking the bigger, like taking, being mindful and being the the great conscious consumer, that is important. But also, how do we how do we just support our overall health and well being? How do we support our hormones? Yeah. So one of the things, especially whether it's us or our kids, one of the things that I always teach the families that I work with is fridge first. So when we're hungry, when we're looking for something, we look in the fridge first rather than the pantry, right? So our nutrition and our food primarily comes from the fridge. And then we also want to think about it in terms of, and one of the things that I teach with my kids and family program is we want to think about foods in terms of energizers and energy zappers. What are the foods that make us feel really good when we eat them? What are the foods that help us get all our work done, that we're able to concentrate on the things that are in front of us? And what are the foods that maybe don't have us feeling so great or where after we eat it, we have that drop in blood sugar and energy where we're saying, okay, I need the next thing. 
And then, especially for a lot of us, what are the foods where I find myself beating myself up after it? Right? Like the amount of brain power that is consumed by keeping track of what we eat and, you know, beating ourselves up over some of these things is such lost potential. Like, think about all the things you could create and the impact you could make in the world when all of that brain power isn't caught up in all of these things. It's so true. It is. It's very much a part of the the continuum of every single day life for so many people is figuring out what they're going to eat, dissecting what they're going to eat. And it can, it just feels, it can feel very complicated and it can feel very daunting. Exactly. And so the more we can do to simplify it and just think about it in terms of our energy and our mood and our sleep and our self-esteem and choose for that, <laughs> you know, and say, okay, where am I putting my dollars? Where am I putting my energy into making healthful choices that support all the pieces of our lives? I love that. So just really asking that question of, is, is this going to serve my, my highest energy self? Like just kind of getting clarity and, and you know, and I, I know I have those conversations of like, okay, what's really going to serve me? And is it that we preemptively when we're shopping as well is just saying, okay, when I'm shopping, like I've created this list of things that I know are really going to serve my energetic capacity are going to really fuel and have great communication in my body, right? Food is intelligence as well. Food is communicating with the body. Like being mindful, we make that list, we go shopping with that list, and we bring those things into the house. And I agree, fridge first, but and also be mindful about what you're putting in your pantry to some degree. Exactly, you know? right. And I think it's one of those things where we make our choices, we define our lives, everything that happens is by design or by default. And the truth is, even the default is a choice. If we're not taking the time to make that list or to think about going to the farmer's market instead of buying the food that was shipped here from a million miles away, it's a default choice. And that default has a snowball too. And so it's really just about saying, okay, what bigger picture, what am I looking for? What do I want? What am I creating? And choosing out of intention. Agree. I love that. Yeah. Creating that life by design versus by default, but like choose like not being by design is a choice in its own right too. I love that. There's, there's definitely, we have to take ownership of both. I agree 100%. Jen, I have loved, I love these simple ways of thinking about how we can nourish our family, how we can nourish our, our bodies and how we can set ourselves up for success. And then how we could go that next step, that next level of how we can be conscious consumers so that we're shifting how our food is created. We're shifting the way that farming is done. We're shifting, we're shifting how people are able are allowed to produce food or sell food to us. All of that is a big part of this narrative as well. It's how we make really big change. But I know it can start, like you said, thinking globally, putting into action locally. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not out of our reach. Like it might feel super daunting and I get that. But the truth is it's happening every day in your own home, in your own grocery store. And we sometimes feel like we're so small and the bigger you know, we're a cog in this giant wheel. You're not, you matter and it is important and it is valuable. And, you know, I just encourage everybody to take actions, small steps in the same direction lead to huge distance over time. And we can do this together. 
Yes, I love it. Well, Jen, honey, we're at one. We got to go check out the podcast, right? Salad with a side of fries podcast. I just love the name. <laughs> Definitely. I'm sure you get so many responses about the name of the podcast. And then where else can we plug into you? Yeah. So all social media, I'm at Jen Trepic, J-E-N-N-T-R-E-P-E-C-K. And I'd love to hear from you. I'm so curious, like your biggest takeaway. I just love hearing from listeners. So please, please reach out. And of course, offering to all of the essentially you listeners, a complimentary discovery chat. So just you and me, whatever your questions are, let's get to know each other, hang out, chat a little bit. I think you have that link. Perfect. I will have it in the show notes as well. So everyone can go grab that. If you want to book that call, book that conversation. I love it because I know you're going to get into the nitty gritty with Jen. And Jen, honey, thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. I just love that we dove into this and gave just a little bit more clarity as to the greater, you know, the, the complexity of, of the nutritional world and what is happening with our food. Like you had said out the, out the gate is that when we really understand what's going on, we can just make better choices for ourselves and our family. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure to chat with you. So you can see now how nutrient depletion is a major force when it comes to millions of us suffering with metabolic issues. And this is worldwide. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate Jen's perspective on how to reverse course and turn it all around for us and our families. Luckily, each of us can take some small steps today, literally today, to boost our nutrition and become more metabolically flexible. And honestly, if we want to function, we want that longevity, it's what we've got to do. So not only did I love Jen's strategies here on this show, but also Jen has her own podcast, Salad with a Side of Fries, that she literally devotes to this very topic. So you're going to get so much more from her right over there. So I highly recommend checking that out. And I'm really stoked to be on her show very, very soon. I will have the link to go check out Jen's podcast and website to learn more about how to work with her personally. Thank you so much for listening in on today's podcast on the Essentially You podcast. This show is all about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. If there is someone in your life that needs to hear this today, take a moment, screenshot this episode, send it on over to them or share it on social. That way you can reach, help us reach more and more people. If you do put it on social, hashtag hormone literacy or hormone CEO. Now coming up this Friday, right after Thanksgiving here in the US, I'm coming back on to share one of my favorite episodes, the top 10 simple strategies for eating and stress hacks to help you survive the holidays. Cause yep, we are right in the thick of it. I'm gonna be sharing strategies that I love specifically directed around how to boost your metabolism so that you just, you move through the holidays, not only just survive them, but thrive through the holidays and feel super great on the other side of it. Until then, have an amazing, amazing week. See you soon. 